This is an amazing place in the Word of God. We are talking about marriages. There can be nothing more healthy, nothing more important in the kingdom apart from the church than marriages. Now, I want you to know something. It doesn't mean that everybody should be married. That, that, that's not the, the issue. There are the gift of being single. And, and nobody should try to force or manipulate anyone into a marriage. A marriage is a very wonderful and unique situation. But it is the ordination of God. God has ordained the church and marriages for this age. And both of them were given for a purpose. And that was to draw people to our Savior. They should see Jesus Christ in our midst. When we worship together, when we do what we do here in this church, it should draw people to our Savior. It said in the book of Acts that they were, that the people of Christ, there were 3,000 that first came and they were gathering together. And they were so, so um, impressed within the community that it said that, that God was bringing people into their midst that daily there were folks being saved because there was a uniqueness within the body of Christ. Within your marriage and my, our marriages, that, that, same, that same thing should be taking place. People should be drawn to our Savior because of the way they see marriages. And Satan, as we saw, said last week, would, would, would like to do nothing more than to, than to make us separate or to make... What I would like to show is this is a kind of visual of a, of a marriage that just is not hitting on all cylinders. It's argument, argument, argument. And, and for the most part, people don't know why. We're going to show you why. Why is it that, that we are like this instead of like this? And, and, and this is what a marriage ought to be, that we, we think more highly of the other person than we do our own self, always lifting our partner up and... and and, and helping her or him to be all that God would have them to be. I, I had the privilege of telling my, my wife last night that, that, uh, that I, I don't know what I would be. I don't know where I would be. I, don't, I have no idea of, of what God would have in store for me if it were not for her. She, she is the most amazing of, of women. And it's not because we're going through this series that I thought to say that to her. On, uh, on the contrary, I... I like to tell her things like that all the time. I, I love telling her good things. I love building her up. I love making her feel so important. Because the truth of the matter is, she is. She is to me. And so, would you turn with me, ladies and gentlemen, would you turn each of us to Ephesians chapter 5? And, and the reason I, I said ladies and gentlemen, I was just going to say, gentlemen, would you please turn with me? Because this is a message that hits home to us as men. The Bible is very clear when it speaks to us as men, as who we are to be within the family. The responsibility, if you would, falls directly in your court, gentlemen. When God said in Ephesians chapter 5, is it verse 25, husbands? Is that it, verse 25? Yes. Husbands, love your wives. How? Well, you have an example. And it is a major one. I want you to love your wives. Paul writes, as Jesus Christ loves the church. Now, I might be out of place here by saying that. Husbands, love your wives. No, I'm right on. As Christ also loved the church and gave 
himself up for her. The accountability as to how we are to hold our marriages together, gentlemen, falls directly in our court. We don't ask us to hold the church together. We expect that Jesus Christ will hold the church together. He holds us together. And He has given that responsibility within marriage to the husband. We are to love our wives like He loves us. It, it says, goes on to say, look at verses 26 and 27. Paul says, so that... Now, these, I, I, I want you to know that these two verses um, are very special and unique to me. And I want to pass them along to you. And I'm not saying that this is biblical. I'm not saying this is theologically correct, although it might be. But to live your life in this fashion is not so bad. It's, it's kind of like, as I see these two verses, like um, I like to live my life also thinking that Jesus Christ might come back today. This is the day He's going to come back. This is the day He has chosen to take us back into heaven. So I ask myself, how do I want to live this day? With that in light, how do I want to, what do I want to be doing when He comes back? I don't want to be caught, what's the phrase, with your pants down. I don't want to be caught, you know, off guard. I want to be ready for when He comes back. And so therefore, if I believe, and I do, and I think I'm going to prove by the Word of God how important marriages are and how important husbands are within the marriage, if that be true, then if we're to love our wives as Christ loves the church, we ought to really be special. There ought to be a very specialness about us with our wives. And so Paul says in verses 26 and 27, talking about Jesus Christ, how He's going to present the church one day, He says, so that He might sanctify her, her meaning the church, that's us, having cleansed us by the washing water with the Word. And again, we see another emphasis upon the importance of preaching and knowing the Word of God. It goes on to say in verse 27 that He, Christ, might present to Himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot, nor wrinkle, nor any such thing, but that she, the church, would be holy and blameless. Now, you and I are holy and blameless in our position. You and I are not holy and blameless in our practice, sadly. Sadly, we are all, we all have something in common. We are all sinners. Every single one of us that sits here in this room or anywhere in this world in which we live have one strain in common, and that is that we are sinners and we must be saved by the grace of an almighty God. And so the Bible teaches that we have all fallen short of the glory of God, right? We're all sinners. And the wages of our sin is what? Okay, that's very good that you know that. It is death. But the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we see here that, that our Lord has cleansed us, has given us a statement that we are holy and blameless, certainly not in our practice. 
But in our position, God Almighty has already said in Ephesians chapter 1, we've studied it. We know it. We're holy and blameless before Him because of what Jesus Christ did for us upon the cross. It is the most wonderful gift that we have been given in life. With that in mind, for whatever it is worth, it is my deepest belief that we as husbands will be asked by God one day, how, how did you take care of that precious gift that I gave you, your wife? Is she spotless? Is she without wrinkle? Is she holy and blameless? Have you cared for her in such a fashion that she is unique and special? You see, Jesus Christ will not have to shirk away at that that question when the Father said, how did you care for my church? Jesus Christ said that everything He was asked to do, He accomplished. And when He was upon the cross, dying for your sin and my sin, for the, the, the sin of this world, when He was dying to perfect the church, He said, it is finished. So, upon my deathbed, I want to see a wife that feels like she has been well cared for. Gentlemen, I want you to search the Scripture, if you will. You'll find nowhere in the Bible that, the, that the, your wife is asked to love you. Ladies, we'll talk to you a little bit more next week, but we'll talk about your position in this marriage, and, and yours is a, an amazing one as well. You have been asked to submit to your husband, and you've been asked to respect your husband. But gentlemen, she's never been asked to love us. Want to know why? We're going to show you today. But the reason why is that she has been fashioned in such a way that she loves you more than she even understands. I've asked oftentimes couples that are about to get married, I ask the bride-to-be, can you explain to me how much you love this lug? (laughs) And it's it's impossible. Every thought that goes through her mind as she prepares. In fact, I'm doing a wedding today at 3.30. I'm so excited about it. it it's, a, it's a wedding for a couple that, that have, um, he's in the service and the only day available was today. So all the guests are angry that they're not going to be able to watch the opening of the Super Bowl. Right. I'm expecting while I'm in the middle of this wedding to someone go, yeah! And I'm gonna, and oh, you're happy for the bride and groom? No, Baltimore. Oh, no, Baltimore's not in it. Indianapolis, Indianapolis just scored. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> so I'm doing a wedding today, and I'm really excited about it because it's uh, this is a day that God has given this couple. And I looked at her and when we were in the, my office and tried to explain to him how much she loves him. And, I'll give you a little clue. Let, let me just be silly for a minute. Let's pray before I get too frivolous. But let, let's, let's, Father God, please, would you open up our eyes that we might behold the wonders of marriage? That if, if we could do nothing else here in this church, we could be a people that love you with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and all of our minds. And Father, we would establish this church in such a fashion that people would be drawn to it so as to see and to recognize your son. What a privilege. 
And secondly, Father, that our marriages would be in such a, a healthy state that people would see and recognize that there is something unique and special about the way this couple loves one another. And when they are drawn to that love, they might be told about the very essence of who your Son is within our hearts. And that we understand the purity of marriage because of our love for Jesus Christ. So teach us, Father, at every level. And move me aside, I beg of you, Father. I pray that you move me aside so that we might hear from your heart to ours. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, pop quiz. Gentlemen, <clears throat> I would love for you, if you won't mind, bringing to me next week all of the groom magazines that you have in your home. There aren't any. We wouldn't read that stuff. Don't bring me all the bride magazines. They're laced this thick. They're beautifully decorated. They're colorful. You know, you can find out the color of plates that you want at your reception. You can find out the, 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 the ornate way of fixing the table. The women have all of that in their heart and in their mind. And in the process, they're thinking about how much they love this guy. And this guy is thinking about, I can't wait to get his hands on her. That's about the way it goes. That's it. And so the Bible teaches, as we're going to see in a moment, that gentlemen, you and I need to learn how to be a husband. The wife is a wife, is a wife, is a wife. A wife is a wife, is a wife, is a wife. She will always be a wife. Here's the key, man. Here's the key. You need to learn to love your wife like she wants to be loved. You need to learn to love your wife like she needs and wants to be loved. And there is no book, there is no book that you can read on this gentleman unless she wrote it. It'd be foolhardy for me to tell you to go to this book or that book or another book to find out how to love your wife. You may not find that anywhere other than asking her. That is why in marriage it says that both of them, we're going to see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, both of them were naked and not ashamed. That had nothing to do with what they were wearing or not wearing. It has everything to do with what Hebrew means by naked, meaning opened and transparent. Key to a great marriage is being open with one another and transparent with one another understanding each other and so it is a it is a very wise man that understands his wife to be because we have been asked above and beyond anything else in this world to love our wives like jesus christ loves us whoa that is a tall order it's kind of like this. It's kind of like if this is the expression of love. Love, 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 love. 
And we're just loving our wives. Love you so much. And she looks at you and says, I don't itch there. That's not my expression of love. Here, here's where I want it. And you say, this is all you're going to get. <laughs> it's the best way I know how to love you. And this is it. And take all the love I can give you. But, and she's just dying over here where she wants to be loved. And it's a wise husband who says, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. You just show me where and I'll love. You just show me how and I'll love. You see, when Jesus Christ takes us to church, he doesn't ask us to conform. He takes you as you are and you as you are and you as you are. And he loves each of us as we are, does he not? He doesn't ask you to become a preacher. He doesn't ask you to become a missionary. He doesn't ask you to, to sing in the praise group. He just asks you what it is that you are, and he loves you there. Same with us and with our wives. It's a foolish man that tries to love his wife as he wants her to to be loved rather than looking at her and, and loving her like she wants to be loved. And the only way, gentlemen, you and I will ever learn that is not through a book. It is through asking our wives. And so it's a wise person that before they walk down that aisle that they understand the person that they're about to marry because the moment you look into the beautiful eyes of that woman this afternoon at 3.45, I'm going to look at this guy and I'm going to say to him, do you take this wife? Do you take her to be your wife? And he's going to say, I do. And he just bought the farm. <laughs> That's it. He has just sealed the, the deal that he is to love her, not like he thinks she wants to be loved, but he's to love her like she needs to be loved the rest of her life. He's called to that. I want to show you where it says that, as a matter of fact. Turn with me away from Ephesians chapter 5 and turn to me to your right to 1 Peter. Now, you're going to go past, like Hebrews, that's a fairly good-sized book, and James, and you'll come to 1 Peter. And stop at 1 Peter chapter 3, would you please? Did I say 5? Chapter 5? I didn't mean to if I did. Chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. In 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, I'll tell you more about this in time, because this is a, the tail end of the study about marriage. But if you look at chapter 3, verse 1, it talks about wives. In the same way, it says, you wives, be submissive to your own husband. And one lady came up to me and said, submissive. You know, submissive to a woman is, oh, no, I'd rather love him. Don't make me be submissive to him. And it's a tough word for a woman, and we're going to show you exactly why. Exactly why. You won't miss it. You'll know. You'll know exactly why that word hurts. But it says, likewise, this whole chapter is talking, this whole book really, this area is talking about being submissive and suffering. That's what Jesus Christ did. That's why it says, in the same way. Like Jesus suffered, so you are wise. Now, if we go to verse 7, it's for us, men. 
Husbands, 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 likewise. In other words, like a woman suffered, you also are to suffer. And you are to live with your wife in an understanding way. That's a farming term in the Hebrew, in the Greek, I should say, excuse me. Farming term. In other words, what it is saying as a farmer would take his land and, and understand his land and also understand what he is growing, he would understand it. He would live with that in an understanding way. Let's say, for instance, if I may, let's move just this for a second. I'll put it right back. Farmer buys this and he wants to grow it because he, oh man, he loves everything about it. Loves the way it smells. He loves what it does when it grows. It's, it's very productive for him. It, it helps. It helps in every way in his life. And so when he buys it, the buy, man, he person, the, the person he buys it from says, look, you know this very well, don't you? Oh, yeah. I love it with all my heart. He says, well, you know this. This will not grow without being watered. You know that, don't you? Oh, <laughs> yes, I know. Don't worry about it. Just, I need it. So he buys it, but he loves it so much. That he lives up here, see, he lives up in this highland up on the top here where there's hardly any water. Doesn't get any water up here. But he loves this so doggone much that he wants to plant it right by him, right near, right there, right where he's, you can't see it over there, but it's right over here. But it doesn't get any water. What's going to happen to that? It's going to die. It will not survive. That's a very, very stupid farmer, really. You don't buy something you love that much and, and take it and plant it somewhere where it won't flourish. No, no, down here, over on this side, it gets water all the time. It is really very, very moist area. It gets a lot of water. This is where it belongs. You see, it's that versus that. Planting it up there, it won't flourish. You've got to live with this in an understanding way. A farmer would know that. No farmer would plant something that would die. Husbands, don't live with your wife in an a misunderstanding way. Don't live with her that she won't flourish. How will she flourish? Ask her. Ask her. You know, there's some books that tells, tells husbands, you know, buy your wife a flower every day or every week or I don't know, you know, buy her a flower. Charm her with flowers. There's some women out there who hate flowers. Hate them. They don't want flowers. You need to understand what it is that makes your wife flourish. Huh? But you, but you buy or you get or you do for them that makes them flourish. So husbands, it says in, in, in verse 7 of, of 1 Peter 3, you live with your wife like a farmer would his land, you bought that farm. As with a weaker vessel, the weaker vessel there, weaker doesn't mean she, you can beat her in arm wrestling. And it means she's weaker because she has submitted herself to you. I know, I know, I know. So she is below you. That's a tough word. That one was a real bad choice. I didn't look at my notes. Below you is not right, but... I think you get what I mean in a moment. You will. Because she is a woman. And grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. In other words, just because she has submitted to you doesn't mean that you're to walk all over her. Grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. So that, here's the key to me, it's so that your prayers 
may not be hindered. See, the very essence of, of a godly life, any of us who are Christians here know that probably the weakest thing that we could be as a, as a Christian who walks on this earth without having our prayers answered. I mean, really, what is more weak than a, 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 a man that walks this earth praying for his job, praying for his everything, and realizing that his prayers are being hindered? There's nothing more weak than that. For us as Christians, we know that everything we accomplish is by the grace of God. And everything that we do is because of His grace upon our lives. And so to hinder our prayers, we'd well, have to be crazy. What hinders prayers? Simple sin. And not living with your wife in an understanding way, gentlemen. And so to go through your life and, and to feel that your, your prayers are being hindered, you need to ask the Lord, is there sin in my life? And you need to go home to your wife and say, how am I doing? And if she says, not so good, you need to say, well, the heck with you. Or you need to say, forgive me, honey. How can we make it better? Help me to love you as you so richly deserve. Let me tell you a clue. Ladies, let me tell you a clue, guys. You do that, you'll never, ever, ever, never, ever, never be able to out-love your wife. Impossible. It's like bringing a bucket to the beach of water and throwing it into the ocean and saying, look what I just did. See it rise. No, no. Your wife is like the Pacific Ocean and you are like a bucket of water. And when you love her, you're like throwing water on her, but she's an ocean. She will overwhelm you with love if, if, if you love her as she so desires. I'm telling you, I could hear, if it was a Pentecostal church, I'd hear every woman in this place who's married yell amen. Because most of us as men want to love our wives. We're not really foolish. We love you, but we just get going and we forget about or we're supposed to be taking care of that farm. And some guys come to me and say, whoa, you have no idea the size of my farm. It, it's, it's, it's high maintenance, pastor. It's high maintenance. And I say, you know, you might have thought, should have thought of that before you said I do. And so what we need to do is to see how it all began. Let's, let's do there. Let's go back to where it began. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Let's begin to reverse the curse. Reverse the curse of, uh, of ungodly marriages. In Genesis chapter 1, it is the creation of this earth. As you'll note, throughout, throughout Genesis chapter 1, it says God made the heavens and the earth. And, and in verses, oh gosh, let me write, let me tell, I've written it down. Verses 4, 10, 12, 18, 21, 25, and 31. That's verses 4, 10, 12, 18, 21, 25, and 31. It says, and everything that God made was what? good except verse 31 it said and god looked at, at everything he had done on the day that he rested and he saw that it was what it was very good now chapter 2 of genesis is similar to chapter 1 except it's like this chapter 1 is like you're on the empire state building and you're looking down at the streets of new york city without any telescope you're just looking down there with your naked eye and you see the panorama of the city 
Well, chapter 2 is the same thing. You're still on the Empire State Building. You're still looking down, but this time you take a quarter, which tells you how old I am. Probably not a quarter now. It's probably a $5 bill to put into a telescope to look down in the city so that you can, you can zero in on two people. You zero in on a person and his wife or two people walking down the street. Chapter 2 tells us how God dealt and formed mankind. If you look at verse 7, it's a great verse of chapter 2. It said, and the Lord God formed. You see that word formed? He formed the man and he says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Basically, that's kind of what verse 7 says. The word form there is key. It's like, it's a simple word in Hebrew. It's like making a snowball. It's very simple. God just, boom, made a snowball. Boom, made a snowball. Boom, made a snowball. All kinds of snowball. All kinds of men all over the place. Boom, 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 men. Form, form, form men. God said everything that he did was good. He took the man and he put him into the garden. He told him, take care of the garden here. And then he looked at the man. Look at verse 18 of chapter 2. He looked at the man and he said something that is unique to the voice of God up to this point. He says it is what? Now, first negative word that comes out of the mouth of God. He says, gentlemen, it's not good for you to be alone. I am going to make a helper who is suitable for you. Helper and suitable means someone who will come alongside of you, equal with you, but someone who will come who will complement you, complete you as a being. Now, I want you to see, in my opinion, the sense of humor of God. He just told them, look at verse 18, it's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to make you a helper suitable for you. So what does God do? He starts forming animals, right? Look at this. Is it in verses 19 and 20? What? Oh, my, I'm still in First Peter. That's a shock. I look down and I say, whoa, that looks wrong. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Lord God says, not good for you to be alone. I'm going to make you a su- helper suitable for you. So then in verse 19, yeah, right. Out of the ground of the Lord, he formed every beast of the field. And he, he, and the bird in the sky and everything else. And he brought it to the man and he said, whatever you call this, this is its name. Now, he's just told him, I'm going to make you something, someone that's going to be suitable for you. It's going to complete you. And so can you imagine the, the man when he says, you've got to be kidding, elephant? Boom, 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 boom. Ah, then he says, then the next, you know, he's, something else comes up and he, Ooh, pretty eyes, but nah, cow, cow. You know, and he starts naming all these things. But look at the next verse. It says, but for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Isn't that what it says? In verse, uh, yeah, yeah, in verse 20. He gave names to all the cattle. He gave named everything. End of verse 20, but for Adam, there wasn't anyone found suitable for him. So what does the Lord do? He causes him to go to sleep. And out of that, man he verse 22 what did he do he what a woman he fashioned that's a much different word than form the word formed in the hebrew as i said to you just a moment ago is a very simple word like making a snowball the word fashion is an architectural term it is like god took this 
this rib and very, very amazingly fashioned like an architect would a beautiful building, a woman. And what did he do? In verse 22, he then, what? Brought her to the man. And the man says, in verse, it's very funny, by the way, in, in, if, you know, if we could read Hebrew, it would have a great, greater emphasis. The man said, look, verse 23, what is he doing? The man is still naming, he's naming her. He says, oh, this is bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh. I'm going to call her woman because she was taken out of man. You know what? Really, the rendering of that is, oh, it's not like that. It's, whoa, you've got to be kidding. See, that's perfect. Wrap her up. I'll take her. Wait, no, don't wrap her up. Leave her just like that. I'll take her. I'll take her just like she is. That's just perfect. And so what does the next verse say? For what? For this cause. What cause? What cause? Pardon me? <laughs> no, for this cause. Marriage. Marriage. The first thing that God does with the man and the woman is He unites them in marriage. First act that God does to the human beings is to marry them, a man and a woman. For this cause, it says, the man shall leave his mother and his father. Now, don't you dare think that that means that we are to separate ourselves from our parents. No, no, no. The, one of the Ten Commandments says you are to honor your mom and your dad all the days of your life. And if you do so, long will be the days of you on this earth. No, no, no. We're never to dishonor our parents. Never. But can you imagine Adam's thought process? If he was thinking at all, standing next to Eve. Leave who? Think about it. Did Adam have any parents? No, no, no. God was setting the precedent for every marriage that would take place after this marriage. The man shall leave his mother and his father, and the man shall cleave to his wife. Notice something, men. Notice something, ladies. He's not even speaking to you, ladies. He's not. Doesn't have to. You already will. You're already a wife. What he wants us to become as men is husbands. He wants us to now no longer be the son in the home. He wants us to move from sonhood and manhood to husbandry. He wants us to be someone who loves his wife like Jesus Christ loves the church. I want you to leave your mom and your dad, become her husband and cleave to her. In other words, bond to her. What God has brought together, let no man... Boom, separate. Boom. There's no more secure feeling in the face of this earth, gentlemen, than when your wife believes with all of her heart that you would never leave her nor forsake her for any, 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 any reason whatsoever. You are bond to that woman. There's nothing more secure for a wife than to know that her husband thinks that she's the most important person on the face of this earth. I'll tell you something really in secret. Well, it's not in secret so much. 
I'll tell you how much I believe Kay knows that I love her. Kay knows that I love something more than life itself. She knows that I love being here with you folks. She knows that. She knows that I would rather do this than anything else. I was asked again last night, would I come and speak? And I said, well, you know, tell me more about it. And well, you'd have to be there on a Sunday morning at 7.30. I said, no, I can't. I mean, I didn't even hear what, what, where it was. Could it have been Hawaii? Maybe. Could it, have been, <laughs> could it have been someplace really special? Could I have made a lot of money by going to speak? I don't care. I don't care. I want to be here. This is it. This is my choice. Kay knows that. I'll tell you what Kay also knows. If she asked me, if she asked me to leave, she knows I'd leave. She holds the key to everything in my life. Now, without your wife's listening, guys, listen to this. If your wife believes that you would leave anything and everything for her, she would never, never, never make you leave something that you love. Because she loves you way too much. But she wants to know that if push came to shove, you'd be with her. You see, there's far too many of us as men out there that have mistresses. Oh, I'm not talking about a woman. I'm talking about maybe our jobs. I'm talking maybe about friends. I'm talking about maybe activities. When John Mark, our son, was born, I'd go out and play golf with people, maybe, mostly for ministry. I, I, I played golf. I didn't. I enjoyed it, but I didn't. It wasn't like, it wasn't like I'm like Michael, you know. Michael has to play a lot of golf. I, I play golf. Kay came to me and said, you know, I can't believe you're out there playing golf. I'm, I'm really busy here with John Mark. I said, good. I said, I'll quit. I'll tell you how serious I was. I gave my clubs away to a friend. She, she said, you're dead serious. I said, I'll do anything you ask. I want to make this a great marriage. We counseled with a couple once that, that they thought uh, they weren't going to get a divorce. Oh, shoot, I got so much I want to tell you about this. They were going to get a divorce, and um, he couldn't figure it out. What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Neither could I. I couldn't figure it out. Really a nice couple. They loved one another. And come to find out after a long time, she hated that he went hunting. Right after the baseball season, when the baseball season's long, and baseball season, a player is away from his wife a lot. Even when they're home, their mind's at the ballpark. I know, I, I tried to play. As soon as the season ended, he went with his buddies hunting. <laughs> Not a good idea. Told him, I said, uh, here's what you need to do. And he said, what? I said, you need to uh, stop hunting. It makes me relax. I get it. I get it. You've got to stop hunting. Your hunting has become a mistress in your life with your wife. He says, okay. I says, no, good. Sell all your guns. I thought I was going to get into a fist fight. He says, I'm not selling all my guns. I said, better show you mean business. Sell all your guns. Didn't want to do it at first. He ended up doing it. They're still married and happily married, and he hunts anytime he wants to. You know the truth of the matter, guys? Wives don't want us around the house that much anyways. We just get in their way. 
you get in their way for a good week, they'll, they'll, sh- they'll, sh- they'll go hunt. Would you go hunt? I've, I sold all my guns. I'll buy you a gun. Go hunt. <laughs> we just don't understand the woman. And until we do, we're going to have this instead of this. Now, some guys bought a farm that a wife wants him around the house all the time and he can never hunt again. Purchased a very, very expensive farm is what he just did. You've got to be careful who you marry and why you marry. See where I've been. Okay, so he says, For this cause you shall leave your mom and dad, you shall cleave unto your wife. Then it says the two of you shall become one flesh. That's a sexual term. God, most people think God's approved. On the contrary, first thing God puts in order, once the man said, yes, I'll be your husband, yes, I'll cleave to her, he says, then go whoopee. Go make whoopee. The two of you. See, women, you now are mentioned in this whole deal with marriage. The two of you shall become one flesh. That's a sexual term, Paul tells us. And then he said, the both of them were not naked, and the both of them were not ashamed. Key to a godly marriage. Key to a godly marriage is being naked and not ashamed transparent and open with one another your best friend ladies must be your husband your best friend gentlemen must be your wife i think it's the most healthiest thing in the world that that my wife has girlfriends i think it's tremendously healthy in fact i encourage it go overnight do things that girls do that none of us guys want to be there and watch anyways you know do what you do I thank my, my wife's friends. One of my wife's best friends is Kathy Verhoeven. And I think Kathy, I've told Kathy Verhoeven once. If I've not told her once, I've told her a hundred times. If I've not told her a hundred times, I bet I've told her a thousand times. She's the best thing happened in my marriage. She, she loves on Kay. Kay loves on her. And they, they talk about what a... I mean, every time Kay comes home, my, my marriage is better. Kathy Verhoeven's a great friend for my life. But the communication must be between a husband and a wife. Must be, must be, must be. There cannot be, there cannot be uh, hidden agendas. Ladies, it's really not fair for you to keep hidden things from a man and then be angry with him because he keeps on doing it. It's just not fair. And it's not practical and it'll cause this. You need to sit down with each other and in gentleness and kindness tell each other what you want from one another so that this can occur in your marriage. Best thing you can do, gentlemen, is to ask your wife. The next best thing you can do is listen to your wife. Then the most important thing you do is once you hear and listen, then you do. Do what your wife has asked you to do. Unless it's sin, of course. But I'm not talking about that. As a matter of fact, as we close this whole whole message, I want you to know, I believe that God put this in place where He did so that we would understand the very essence of being full of the Spirit of God. We're in the book of Ephesians. We'll uh, get back to talking about Genesis chapter 2 and the marriage, and then we'll go on next week to chapter 3 of Genesis and show you where this, this happens and, and why it's so hard for you ladies to hear that you are being submissive to your own husband. I'll show you exactly why. It's, it's as cl- it'll be as clear to you as as could be but it's not an in, not not coincidental that the lord god gave us ephesians chapter 4 and 5 to study before we get into this very important essence because the very principles of of 
being full of the Spirit of God must be implied, must be um, um, done for you to live out, to live out what God has asked you to do in a marriage. These principles cannot just be, okay, I'll do it. No, no, no. It takes a, it takes a godly man to be a godly husband. Now I want to talk about the elephant in the room. That's divorce. What about those of you who have gone through a divorce? You know what the Bible says about divorce? In Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, it says that God, what? Divorce. He hates it. He hates it. hates everything about it. There are only two reasons that I find within Scripture that we are allowed to divorce a person, and that is because of adultery or abandonment. And even then, God says, He allows adultery and abandonment to stop a marriage only because of the hardness of our hearts. In other words, He wants us to work it out. Work it out. Kay says, if, if, if adultery occurs in our marriage, we don't have to work it out because she'll kill me. And then she'll spend the rest of her days in jail, but with a smile on her face. <laughs> There are no biblical grounds for divorce, really, other than what I just said to you. In every case, God desires for us to make our marriage work. But let's say you didn't. Let's say you've divorced. Let's say you you are now in a new marriage. I say to you, by the authority of the Word of God, God has forgiven you if you have come to Him and asked and seeked His forgiveness. There is no sin that God cannot completely forgive. But what he does say is now, now, in the marriage that you are in, make the most of this marriage. Make it work. And we are going to show you, by the grace of an almighty God, how. And we are going to, if God will allow, to make your marriage If it is great right now, I promise you it will get better. And if it is rocky right now, I promise you, by the Word of God, you will know the principles of making it work. There's nothing I long for you than these two things, that this church flourishes. There's nothing I long for more than that this church represents Christ in such a fashion that when people walk in here, they see the essence of Jesus Christ within this church. I long for that. The second thing I want for this church is that we have godly marriages. Men who understand the principle of loving their wives like Jesus Christ loves us. I mean, that's that's not an easy task, guys. It's not but built within that woman that you've married is enough love for you that it can work if you'll love her like she needs to be loved. Gentlemen, the ball is in our court. We can make it work. We can make it work. You might say, what about my wife? She's really hardcore. Well, how many times did Jesus Christ forgive us when we sin? We're the bride of Christ. You know, some of us are really harlots out here. We're living a terrible life. But every once in a while we come back and say, Father, 
I've come to my senses, forgive me. And he says, not on your life. I've divorced you. What does he say? Every time, you're forgiven. Gentlemen, you love your wife like Jesus Christ loves you. Father, help us to be godly husbands. I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Hey, now guys, you'll want to bring your wife next week because we're going to pick on them. <laughs> that's, that's fun too. I love you all. Have a great, great day. Thank you for being here. I can't wait to see you next week.